Welcome back to another great episode of Comedians in Bed. And as always, man, I have another great guest here for you. And you know me, I like to give her an introduction. Now, as you can see, this woman is beautiful, man. And the beauty matched the jokes, too, because she's freaking hilarious. And she's a super mom. That song that Alicia Keys made, uh, this girl is on fire. I feel like <laughs> she was talking about our next guest that we have in the building here. I'm so happy that we got her, man. She's been blazing the stage all over America. And right now we got her on the podcast. Please give it up for Ronnie Chanel, everybody. Yo, yo, yo. What's good? How you feeling today? What up, though? That's that Detroit <laughs> shit right there. No, for real, because uh, my I just I was while I was studying, do my research, I uh, found out that you are from Detroit. My fiance is from Detroit. Y'all cool people. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. That's what's yeah. up. <laughs> what part of town? You know, what part of town she from? You know, it's just a good thing to say because she moved here when she was three. So yeah. okay, <laughs> I really she don't was, know though. She, um, got, she got roots. She got roots. Yeah, we. I took her back for the first time in a while uh, this past uh, summer in July. And mm -hmm. I think she showed me what hospital she was born in, but I couldn't. I couldn't really tell you. She, yeah. Okay. But I what love. What city are you in again? Say that one more time. What city are you in again? Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay, we, we neighbors. Okay. Yeah, you you live in Toledo right now, right? No, I still live in Detroit. I oh, okay, work, okay. I work out of Toledo. A oh, lot. okay. It's, a, it's like an yeah. hour away from me. Yeah, that makes sense because it's not too far. Okay, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Yeah, next time we come to Detroit, I'm going to have to... Well, we're actually coming there for the Beyonce concert, so we're going to have to stop by. Y'all really did that? Dang, you know, we... I need that money. I need that kind of money. <laughs> I, I'm funny, but I ain't Beyonce money funny. Uh, nah, they just got to know how to work it. We ain't get them yet, but they seem to be around $200. I was like, oh, I can do $200. Oh, yeah, I can do yeah, $200. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know. Uh, just put it on the credit card. Figure out how you're going to pay it later. Exactly. <laughs> Listen, boy, you ain't got clowning on the afterpay? Because I saw it was front row for Trey Songz. I was like, yeah, give me the best figures y'all got. I have to pay it like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but now we had, we had a good time. We was out there. We went to, uh, it was like around the 4th of July. And uh, we went to go see um, uh, Next. Well, that version of next and drew hill with all six members and okay. uh the updated version of mint condition okay. and genuine was there how was that it was fun it wasn't packed but it was fun like y'all real cool y'all don't really do much y'all don't I me mean, her got like until like a disagreement and then mm -hmm. i looked around and everybody was just chilling and i was like okay we got to act accordingly because this is <laughs> Everybody they, so, here they so fake bougie. <laughs> Man, that's why you go to clubs no more because they just stand around. I like to dance, I get funky, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I want to leave musty. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did have fun when we went to we went to some club called um fuck spotlight. Okay, I think it's like a newer club. It's gonna it's gonna kill me if I don't because this club was actually like hella fun and we yeah. had like really good time man and we gonna go back um but I think it was called Spotlight I'm about to look it up real quick because if not okay uh like yeah it was called Spotlight all right cool yeah that club was fun that club was hella fun man hella hella fun okay. but how how is being from Detroit because the first time I went there actually I was 11 and I was just like. It was a lot to take in, but it was like cool. And I was like, I want to go back. And then last summer was my first time going back. And it just looks totally different. You know, no disrespect. Yeah. It just looks like a war zone hit Detroit. Like, but even though we was there, like we see nothing but black people. So how is like growing up and living in Detroit? Yeah. So uh, I'm originally from Alaska. I moved to Detroit when I was six. Um, my parents were military. Okay. My father's from Detroit. Okay. Um, are you familiar? Have you watched the BMF series? Uh, I haven't watched it, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah. So the BMF series, the neighborhood that they they're from, I live right around the corner. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so I grew up in that era. You know that that crack era when it was crazy. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm 41, so I grew up in that era. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, Detroit is is awesome. I used to want to leave so bad. Especially once I started comedy, I, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. 
But um, Detroit is a, a great place to grow. And it teaches you to hustle, to grind. Like anywhere I go, I shine I, because I, it's just something about me. It's just something about Detroit people, our work ethic, and um, just we're a different breed. We, de- mm-hmm. we definitely are. We're a different breed. We're all about our money and we know how to get it. You know what I'm saying? And if we don't got it, we look good <laughs> while we faking it, okay? <laughs> That's one thing about it. We don't look good. I'm broke. <laughs> I'm broke. But I look good being broke. What? Yeah, um, dope. So Mike, I heard Mike Epps is getting a club out there. Is is that? Yes. Okay. How How is that? Because I don't, I'll look it up. You don't, I think you guys got a comedy club out there, but I'm not really sure i think well, you got- we have a new one in this city okay um called the detroit house of comedy mm-hmm. that's a chain uh rick bronson owns them they are like i know i've done the one in the mall of america they're in arizona and different cities um, it's like six or seven of them um we have that that's newer that's about a year old and then we have, have um... got that phone call man <laughs> I thought I put it on do not disturb. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. <laughs> maybe. Maybe totally I, I thought fine. I did. And I told <laughs> I just I told my daughter who's in the in, in the car with my dude. I'm like, y'all don't call me. I put thought I put on do not disturb, but anywho. No, you're fine. <laughs> That's some old people shit. I feel so old. Like I be asking my kids, like, how I make this TikTok? They be so mad at me, like, we ain't helping you no more. <laughs> but, but um, we have Punchline Comedy Lounge. That's in right outside of Detroit in Southfield. That's our urban comedy lounge. You know, where all the nationally headliners come, national headliners come through. Black comics come through there. It's pretty dope. Um, and like you say, Mike Epps is opening a comedy club. One Mike stands right downtown in the heart of downtown. It's gonna be a really, really big venue. It used to be a, a venue called Punchline, Punch mm-hmm. Bowl Social, mm-hmm. which had like bowling, multiple floors, multiple bars. It was huge. And so they're putting a comedy, a big, huge comedy club in there, um, restaurants, different bars and stuff in it. So it's something to look forward to. It's pretty dope. That's what's up, man. I think it'll help uh, revive um detroit because i you know i don't when i when i see comedians post their schedule i really don't see detroit be on the list so I, mm-hmm. i'm hoping that that changes things because i would definitely love to do uh comedy in detroit not just me but i'm pretty sure a whole bunch of other oh yeah people. yeah you got the you know a lot of the big names they come through the fox theater you know but the big tours they come through there a uh, little season arena when it's a really really big tour like kevin hart dave Chappelle. Chris yeah. Rock, all them, they come through there. Um, but yeah, the Detroit, they have the the punchline, they have the House of Comedy. Um, and the House of Comedy are just now booking like more urban acts. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we call it. That's what you say when you almost say niggas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, they're booking more niggas. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, they 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 letting us in there. Um but yeah, we got a bunch of little small rooms. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar, if you were familiar with Kool-Aid, who passed away a few years ago. Mm-hmm. He was like the big Detroit comic, you know, and he brought everybody in and he had a Monday night comedy uh, room. That was a really big deal. Like you had to really be doing it to get on stage. He wouldn't just let anybody up. Okay. And so they just started that back again with uh, Fago Red as the host. They okay. do that um, They do that on uh, Monday night. And now, it's free. It's a pretty dope show. Now, you're the host at the Funny Bone in Toledo, right? Yes, I host. host I, yeah, one of them. I host. I have a Thursday night there. I'm running it um, like every other Thursday. Definitely once a month, depending on my schedule. But I I, uh, I host an open mic there. I recently hosted a showcase there, a contest to uh, get newer acts in, to get more pe- people to feature and host and MC, you know, because they they choose a lot of the same people and uh, they don't know a lot of the comics, so yeah. that was my way of introducing other comics to the club. And um, I'm there a lot. I I feature a lot for the big names that come through there. I about to say so. How did you get that? Because here in Columbus, like we got a funny bone here too. As you know, we got yeah. several in Ohio, but I've never seen 
a black host and it's very rare that i see somebody black host or feature in the funny bone yeah um but like there uh the the management there is really great i've established a really good relationship with them and my comedy uh everybody likes my comedy you know it's 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 black as hell but i deliver it in such a way that i don't make people uncomfortable you know and my 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 stage presence and my personality on stage is that of your home girl That wasn't me, was it? That was not me. Cause ain't nobody calling me. Do you sell drugs? Your your hotline, your hotline blinking. That was not me. That was you that time. Now I'm froze. I, you can hear me, but I can't uh, see myself. Hold on, let me see if I can. Uh, I'm uh, a. Yeah, but like... that's crazy. Cause nothing came up. Nothing yeah, came my... up. It just went blank. I wonder if I. Your browser has lost connection to the camera. Other apps are using a camera. Catch praise, start device to continue. Let me see. Let me do this. Okay, here we go. There we go. All right. So now, now I can you fix the sound? I can still hear you. I can hear you, but you sound like Mickey Mouse. Oh, I do. Hold on. Give me one second. (laughs) Sound like me. (laughs) Is that better? No. No. All right. Hold on. Give me one second. I wonder if I remove. Hold on. Can you hear me now? Is that better? I can understand you. Okay. I, I I I can understand you really good. I, you just sound a little funny, but I can hear. You. Okay, 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 okay. So we can continue. But um, yeah. but yeah, like the funny bone. I, uh, someone took me, a comic took me on a Sunday for a clean family show, which I was like, ain't nothing to clean the family about my comedy. And uh, I just adjusted and, and I was newer in the game. And I just, uh, they liked me a lot. They liked my personality. And they hit me up and said, hey, can you come, you know, uh, host for the weekend? I started off just MCing really. And then um, the more I grew on my comedy and the stronger our relationship got, it's just like, hey, we need you this weekend to feature for Guy Tory. We need you to feature for Michael Blackson. We need you to feature for JJ Williamson, Billy Sorrell. So I work a lot through the Funny Bone. And, um, you know, I was just like, hey, you ain't got nothing going on on a Thursday. Let me host Open Mic. Let me let me put a showcase together. And, and I, I do a lot of shows. They're like, if people call me, a, a gentleman called me and wanted to, um, bring a, a, a charter bus out to see me so i called out like hey can i get this date she's like yep ain't nothing going on so that's my day you know so it's just and, and comedy is all about establishing relationships it ain't yeah. just the funny how does it feel to have so much power because i don't well i'm in a bigger market than toledo but and i feel like our funny bone is like the top one but still regardless like that's so much power to have with such a a, a, you know a club like how does that feel especially you know being a black woman it's amazing it's it's like it's 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 a great feeling to be able to be connected to mainstream clubs because they do keep us in a box especially black women Um, we're very limited in what we can do it's either it's with black women in comedy if, if it's one that's enough you know, mm-hmm. if you ever look at flyers, you rarely ever see more than one woman in a show, or it has to be an all-female show. But it's never like a show with, with big names and there's two women on there. It's rare. It's like, okay, we only have room for one of you. And so it's such a blessing to be able to have um, that establishment back me. Um, they referred me to a lot of other clubs. I'm working on getting in Columbus. Um as far as that but it's and and then my thing is to help others get in you know Mm -hmm. i got my spot i'm not selfish a lot of a lot of women in comedy it it becomes a conflict or like a competition all the time and not with me i'm all about helping others i'm secure and and who i am and what i am to this comedy game 
And so um, I go out my way to bring others and say, hey, check her out, especially women. Check her out. Check out this new comic. You know, a lot of them would never have been able to get to the funny bone without me saying, you know what, I'm going to have a night to introduce you all to the management and the booking staff at the funny bone. So it's, it's a great feeling to not just be able to go in there myself, but to open the doors for so many others. How do we like uh, us being who dominate this this industry at least on the front end? How do we help you women get more stage time? Uh, well, I, I think that a lot of we have to broaden our um our material. A lot of times, you know, if you hear women, a lot of times you'll hear a lot of the same material. Um, and a lot of it's because, you know, we're around the same age. Most of us are mothers, you know, uh, some are single mothers. Uh, most women comics are single for some reason. Um, and so a lot of our material is similar to subject matter, but it's good to go deeper into our writing, you know, to where we become not just one of many, to where we stand out. Um, as far as, as doing comedy, you know, you don't want to, uh, I'm not a big fan. I do all women's shows, but I try not, I don't really like to because, you know, if you heard me talk about dating an old man, the next young lady, she's going to talk about it. She's going to talk about it differently, but you're going to hear I've dating this old man three or four times. You're going to hear about, uh, not being a lesbian or, you know, you're going to hear that joke. You're going to hear, a lot of the, we have a lot of similar life experiences. And so it's our job to uh, write so well and create a story and create the narrative so well to where we do stand out. So where they say, you know what, I'm gonna bring her back because she's, she has something unique. She has something different than I always hear. So th how that's you, what it's about. How do you find, uh, cause that'd be one of my biggest things too. Like, um, you know, I'm 32, so I'm getting a little older and it's like, Okay, I hear the comics that talk about getting older, and I know that we just talk about our life, but how do you find material that that's kind of away from the norm of what anybody's going to talk about around your age group or your demographic? Yeah, so um, I typically, I write probably a lot different than other people. Most of my writing comes from conversation, uh, just from me and my friends talking. I have a joke about, um, <laughs> it's, it's a joke. I've never heard anybody else say this about uh, sleeping with their son's friends. You know, my, I have an older son. My son is 25. Mm -hmm. And the joke is, you know, uh, my son is lame. He gets mad because I'm sleeping with his friends. And how that joke came about, uh, my son at the time was about 19 years old. And he comes in playing from playing basketball. And it's him and like five of his friends. And they come in, they got the shirts off and they all sweaty. And my friend is visiting from out of town. And she like, man, how you sit around these little niggas all day like this, day? you know, dang. And so, boom, we laughed about that. And the joke was written. Yeah. And then, um, um, but my, my, my material comes from conversation, life experiences. And even if they are the same subject matter, my experience is so much different. And I write so unique that if, you, if somebody gets up in front of me and has the same subject matter, my story is completely different. I make yeah. sure of that, yeah. you know, and then I make sure not only um, people, women my age understand it. My comedy, I like it. I like for it to transcend through race, age, sex. You know, you can, I want to tell the story so well that if you don't, if you haven't experienced anything like it, I'm going to paint the picture so vivid. That you're gonna be like, damn, you know, that's that's deep. I I I I feel it. I I know what she's talking about. Yeah. I try to I try to well first first of all, I put myself in situations where I know I can get a joke out of it. And I try to talk about I try to always talk about stuff that you normally wouldn't hear a black guy talk about. So mm -hmm. I'm starting to hear more guys talk about getting a booty eight. So I can only go so far with that. Mm -hmm. Uh but I did on purpose go get waxed for the first time. And so I've never heard nobody talk about that. Not saying that nobody ever has, but 
So I try to, what I try to do is I try to put myself in situations where I know I'm going to get some funny out of it mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. some reason. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that right there is, is funny to me already because I've been trying to convince my dude to get, <laughs> get, get, get that back there. man it was uh it was cool i would go i would go back but i just i just haven't found the time like i don't know it's much easier when you got clippers in the in the bathroom like you know so i just haven't been back but like when i get a little bit of money i'll see myself being bougie and be like yeah this is my wax day this is my pedicure day i love it i love it yeah, yeah, but okay. Um, okay, now one thing now I did hear you say uh that joke because I was looking you up and I saw you perform at Sway in the morning. Like, how did yeah. you how did you get that? Because it seemed like New York is is kind of like your little second home there. You've been there a couple times. How did you get that? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I have great friends that look out for me that call me for everything. They if they hear something, they're like, Hey, I heard Sway say he's having a competition. So I, I was on the one in 2020, 2018, I submitted, they would say it on the radio, you know, we're having this competition. I submitted in 2018, but I did it late and I wasn't picked. However, I drove out there anyway. Um, I drove out, even slept in my car the first night because where my family lives, there's nowhere to park. If you don't get there by a certain time, you're not gonna be able to park. So I slept in my car, got up and went to the show the next day and um, just introduced myself, talked to some people, talked to them. And uh, when it came around next year, my friend was like, get on it right now. I submitted and two days later, they reached out to me and said, hey, we want you to come out. And um, I was nervous. That show was, I did, I performed that show at eight o'clock in the morning. Okay. So um yeah, off off three shots of Patron before I went. <laughs> I don't drink anymore. Though. Yeah, we're gonna get to that. That's on my list too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. one thing I did saw that I thought was like super duper dope, man. Um, you perform at uh Caroline's right before it closed. Like, how was that experience? Because it was such a staple in comedy, especially in the New York scene. Like, how was that? How did you get that opportunity? And then how was it performing there? So that tied back into Sway in the Morning. So okay. a part of my winning Sway in the Morning competition was to headline at Caroline's on Broadway. Of course, my date, my original date was July 28, 2020, but with COVID, shut everything down. And so once they opened back up, they were limited to the amount of shows and this and the third. So I was like, look, y'all gonna give me my date, you know? And I reached out to them and they're like, okay, we're gonna get you in. And they called me and said, okay, we got, we got December 13th. And this was w- within like a less than a month for me to get everything together to get people to come out. And I had a full house. I'm talking about people flew in from everywhere, which is super, super dope. Um, but, uh, and, and the crazy part is they were trying to change my date till January. And I was like, no, I, I, I bought 40 plane tickets. No. <laughs> and uh, so they're like, okay, cool. And uh, it was by far the most amazing experience ever. Like to walk out, it's one thing to perform in front of a packed house, but when they are there to see you, mm-hmm. you know, and you're the headliner and people flew in to see you, people came off the streets that had Googled me and looked me up, came in to see me. I had people there from London and just, it was the most amazing experience. I would probably rate my performance like a, a B because I was overwhelmed with emotions. Like it was just like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. Yeah. I can't believe I'm doing this, you know, but it was, it was so dope. It was by far uh, one of, one of my, I, I would say after this weekend, it was number one, but it's fighting for what I did this weekend. So, but it what, was, uh, it was. My fault, I didn't mean to cut you off. Hmm? When, how, when did you know that it was closing because we didn't know well i mean no i'm not from new york so i didn't know until it was on the news in like december so when did you know it was closing i found out when everybody else found out so had um, i let them switch my day in january i wouldn't have been on i wouldn't have had the show yeah i found out maybe like a week or so later after i was like i ain't giving up my dates and it was like my show was 
a week after they made that announcement, maybe a week or two after they made that announcement. So Dang, you fought for yeah. yourself and you got that, in there. That, and that was that was number one on my list. I, I performed there. That was my fourth time performing. I performed. I did the two open mics there. Mm-hmm. I, I did the one open mic, then they called me back to showcase. And then I did the two in the morning and then I finally headlined. But that was my dream was just to perform on that stage. Not even I hadn't even fathomed the thought of headlining. Yeah. You know, there. But just to get there was was my dream. How is it how important is it to hit those open mics? Because a lot of the chatter that I hear in my scene is like, you know, we don't do open mics. And you know, I, I get that and I know that everybody's at a different point in their career, but sometimes those open mics for me. I just see it as an audition for to be honest with you and i've actually booked showcases out of doing open mics so how important is it to do open mics even if you are a vet and you've done these big rooms or open up for certain people like how important is it to do open mics? i'm not a household name yet so i have to introduce myself to i have to introduce myself make sure y'all don't make no noise sorry Everybody coming in from school and shit. They can make noise. They coming like, oh, what's up, mama? Y'all see how she switched to mama so quick? Make sure you don't make no noise. Don't slam my cabinets. Don't do none of that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But open mics are very, very important Um, because everybody doesn't know you. I have to introduce myself. I, I don't. I don't know everybody in Columbus. I've done shows in Columbus. But I don't know everybody in Columbus. I I I um I haven't done um shows all over the country until I'm a household name. Until everybody knows me, I'm doing open mics, and I don't mind driving. Most people they'll they'll quit their jobs and stuff like that. It takes money to make money, and uh, I don't mind driving on my own dime and going to different cities. And if I can get a cheap flight, I mean I I'm not against flying Spirit. I I'll, I'll get a flight for twenty dollars in a minute. <laughs> and go somewhere I've never been just to go. Like, oh, okay, wait a minute. I've never been to uh, Montana. Okay, yeah. let me find that comedy club in Montana. I got a ticket for $32. I'm going to go to Montana and find that comedy club and go perform there. Find out when the open mics is there. Reach out to people. Um, it's very important. And it's also good to work out your material. I like doing open mics in other cities because it's good to be in front of an audience that doesn't know anything about you. And you have to invite them to your world. You know what I'm saying? So. I like those. Um, I like those uh, those opportunities, and so many people they get. So uh, you know they don't. They coming for me. They don't know you. Yeah. They don't know you. They not. They not looking for you. Yeah. You have to introduce yourself. So you have to present yourself to these people. Yeah. Um. You really flew to Montana? No, but I flew to Omaha. Okay. <laughs> I've done. I, I've done. Uh, Omaha, Nebraska. I didn't even think it was black folk in Omaha. Yeah. I, I, I did a big show out there. It was like 500 people. It was dope as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shout out to my homegirl, uh, Lotto Marie, formerly known as MC Lotto. She brought me out there. Now, you said you did a show this weekend. Can you talk about it? You said it was one of the number oh, one man. things you did. Can you talk about it or not? Yes. Yes. So okay. this weekend, I was a part of the first. Traverse City Comedy Festival. Traverse City is up north. Okay, Michigan. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's four miles. I mean, four hours up north and up in Peninsula. Um, all white town. Mm. Uh, this is my second time there. I was there early December. When I was there in December, I only saw one other black person. Uh, this time, I I saw maybe a few people that worked there, maybe like three or four. But that that's the most all white town, conservative town, Trump country. Yeah. Um, but it was such an amazing experience. Like, uh, I did each comic did three shows, and which was good about that. It was a paid festival. Most festivals, you're really just coming for the opportunity to showcase and get in front of people. Well, this one was paid. They paid you well. They um paid for lodging. It was just an overall great experience. And so I did one uh one night I did a show called The Daily Dozens, and that was just like 12 comics going up doing seven minutes then the next day i was off the next day i did my three i did one show thursday two shows saturday so i had friday off but i did um the hip prov show which i'm I'm bringing to the funny bone um a young lady from detroit by the name of tan white um created this show during the pandemic at first which is virtual 
it's similar, you know, it's, she, she was big in improv. And so it's a great, great show. Ties in hip hop and everything to that. So I did that show and killed it. Did you get a chance to see my freestyle? No, I didn't get a chance to see it. No, I saw the, I oh, saw the picture you posted, but. Yeah, you got to see the freestyle. I killed it. So the audience just threw out a topic and I had to rap about it. And, and mine was, um, my, my topic was uh, being a nurse. And, uh, you know, when I used to drink, every time I get a little tipsy, I want to freestyle. So that was nothing for me. <laughs> as soon as I get drunk, I'd be like, yo, 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 bars, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. But the highlight of that, uh, my weekend was I hosted for Dean Edwards at a sold out uh, theater. And that was my first time performing in the sold out theater. I performed in theaters before, um, real light crowds though. But this every seat was filled. I went out there and I rocked it. I'm talking about innovation rocked it. Like uh it was it was amazing just to to be in that setting and to have these people just love you and like wanting to take pictures and get your autograph. Like, y'all want my autograph? Wow. And it was amazing. How what's the difference between performing at a club and performing in a theater? um the amount of people you know a, a comedy club i like to be honest i like the comedy club setting better it's more intimate um you know most of them hold no more than 300 some may hold four um and then i like the closeness there but the theater is just like oh my god it's seven eight hundred people in here you know yeah. what i'm saying i'm making 700 people laugh at the same time and they loving me and they like it was just amazing and, and the stages are getting bigger and bigger you know going from the bar uh standing in the middle of a dance floor performing to to private events you know to the comedy club to the theaters like that's that's those are the steps those are the places that you want to you know that's elevation yeah yeah you know so the comedy clubs are real good though how in the world do you Pursue your dreams while being a mother. I mean, I know your kids aren't young. They're in their teenage years and, and adult, but is there like a battle? Do you feel guilty sometimes? Like, how, how is that process? Hell no, fuck them kids. Listen, um, <laughs> no, no. My children, uh, it's always just been me and my children since they were younger. And my son is 25. I have a daughter soon to be 23. Um, I have another daughter that's about to be, my youngest is about to graduate high school. Um, and then I have three uh, bonus children. Um, my dude's children, they're uh, 16, 14, and 18. And um, they're, they're, they're very independent. And I've, I've done my job with my children to where I'm able to get on the road and I not have to worry about home and not have to be concerned. They're all, I've always taught them that we're a team and they they, they were spoiled and they wanted nice shit. You know, and I, I remember um, my daughter, my youngest daughter fussing like, well, you always gone. And this is even before comedy. I worked a lot. I worked and went to school. And I told him, I said, look, you know, y'all want these things and mama gotta go to work now. I ain't gotta work as much. If you don't want Jordans, I ain't gotta work that much. I can." You know pull back a little bit and we can go and get you some other shoes but you got to understand that we're a team and we work we got to work together i have a world oil machine I, I i've been on the road on the road for a week and uh, my son was in charge at the time he was like 18 19. and i came back and my house was in one piece uh, all my food was gone because come to find <laughs> out these motherfuckers had a party had a new year's eve party uh sent the youngest one with my parents i didn't know none of this sent her to church with my parents and my son at the time was about 18 and 19 and my other daughter she was about 15 and they had a whole party in my house and the house, i came back and the house was clean and everything and i didn't you know i didn't think nothing of it until i went to my freezer and i was like damn I'm like y'all ate all the meat like who made pork chops like, <laughs> my daughter was cooking food and selling it to my son's friends <laughs> She was in there cooking shit that didn't go together. Fish and baked beans, you know. Uh, <laughs> she was making. I came home with no food left. Yeah. You know, but they 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 were smart enough. I had no clue other than y'all was just hungry as hell this weekend. I guess. 
but it's it's a balance. It's, yeah. it's I do get homesick. I do get homesick, um, especially since you know. Uh, at one point, I looked at it as vacation, you know, when I would be gone. But now I'm gone so much, so mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh god. And then I got a dude, you know, that I leave at home a lot of times. I miss him and yeah. stuff like that. It gets a little lonely sometimes, but you know, I, I understand that one one day, you know, he will have to stay home and work, you know, because we're gonna pull the bag in so big he can be on the road with me, managing me, you know, yeah, doing those things. So it's coming soon you remind me uh so much of my brother i believe you guys are exactly like the same age um mm-hmm. because he's so um proud of his sobriety which he should be and he's i've only i've just met him like 2018 or 17 mm-hmm. 2017 and uh from that brief period of time that i knew him because like as soon as we met he like went back to jail but ever since he got out he's been totally different what made you get sober and what was i guess the cause of the alcoholism um just what maybe yeah I'll, I'll go back to what made me get sober but the cause just i i come from a long line of alcoholics long line of drinkers you know i come my family my dad they got my parents got sober when i was 11 and my dad became a pastor some years later, but I was already introduced to that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like I said, I grew up in that era with drugs and the dope boys, and that, that was the thing to do when we were young. You know, the men were older and they would pick us up and we go riding and drinking. I didn't. I never really smoked weed, so that was never an issue. But that's what me and my friends did. We were young. We thirteen years old, and um. We would, it would be like spring break and we would get a, a, a yeah, I'm back. To... No, you're, oh, you're back. <laughs> now, now I can hear you good. Maybe somebody okay, should have cool. <laughs> called call me. But um, yeah, just, just growing up in that era. And, and that's what we did. You know, we would hang out at a friend's house. My parents didn't know a lot of the things that I was doing. You know, like I said, my father was a pastor. So he was always, even when they were in the street, um, he was always really tight on us uh, growing up. My sister and I, he was always really tight on us. No matter what he did in the streets, he was always a father. My parents were always great parents. But once they got saved, like, I couldn't do shit no more. You know, like, mm-hmm. it was like, I can't go nowhere. I was used to going to the little kitty disco on Sunday. And we had to go to church. And we went to church every damn day, it seemed like. And um, so I would go to my friend's house and that's what we did, we would drink. And then as I got older, um, living on my own, being in uh, abusive relationship, then like that, the drinking got heavier then. And, and I worked in bars, I was a bartender for eight years. Mm. And so that built my tolerance up, you know, I drank all day, you know what I'm saying? My cousin would come in and I'd take a shot with me. And I'll be there for sometimes 10, 16 hours and that's what we would do all day. And then, um, then I worked, I left the bar and worked at the plant, which is just as bad as working at the bar. You know, you can get anything you want in the plant, okay? You can get anything. And, and we we were there so much, we didn't have a, a outside life, so we would drink at work. You know, we would do that. And then um, I've been battling with, you know, I would quit, I'd take breaks, I would quit, I would go back into it. And I would always do the the same cycle, you know, I'll take a break. I'll take 30 days or even like three or four months. And then I said, okay, I'm good. I can have a drink now. I don't have to drink as much. I can, I'll start off with wine. Everyone thinks that wine is like soft and, you know, we're going to start off with wine. But eventually if you're a drinker, that wine ain't going to be enough. And wine gets you where you need to be. It's just not as fast or long lasting. And so you you like, you know what, forget that. Why would I pay $12 for a bottle of wine when I can get a half pint? Or whatever, but three dollars and some change, and so I just decided, um, just difficulties, DUI, and you know, you just just get to a point in your life where I realized it wasn't a help. Anything that I've done, anything that I do in my life that's not a help, it's a hindrance. And um, uh, uh, Jada, go check those greens for me. Make sure they're not burning. Thank you. Excuse me. No, you're fine. <laughs> 
I'm cooking. I'm cooking my dude. His birthday is tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> and and we're not gonna be in town, so I'm having birth, his birthday dinner here with okay. all the kids and stuff like that. So I'm making. Is it still water in them? Okay, take it off the stove for me. Um, but yeah, I'm having birthday dinner for him today. No, I was gonna say you look like you can cook. I'm not gonna lie. I I got this, boy. <laughs> can you see it? Well, if she ain't got that, don't eat her food. She put sugar in the greens. She put raisins in the potato uh, salad. <laughs> yeah, don't eat them. If she ain't got that, she can't cook. Come on now. But um, but yeah, anything that's not a help is a hindrance. And I was just like, I'm over it. And so I had tried before and tried. And I was just like, it was my birthday. My birthday was July 1st. And I had partied all month, just drank, just drank. And I woke up on July 29th. Now I was like, I'm done. I still had liquor in my cup. And I was out running errands. I said, okay, I ain't gonna throw this out. <laughs> I'll call it be. But I said, you know, it's been 20 years of drinking. I was like, I'm done. I drank that drink and I haven't touched nothing since. And the first few months was a little difficult, especially on stage. Mm. On stage was rough because I used it as a crutch. I would have a few shots. I never really... I didn't like to be drunk on stage. That's one thing I didn't do. I would wait until after the show, but I would have some drinks before I went up. Um, How do you fight the temptation? Because, you know, that's that's what they say, like comics, you know, we're alcoholics. I don't, <clears throat> I mean, I socially drink, but it's not really a, like a, a crush for me. And I, for me, it's just my dad, my dad's an alcoholic. Like I've never mm-hmm. seen him even drink water. Or Kool Aid, mm-hmm. so I was never really turned on by alcohol, and I've never—I don't like the feeling of being hot. I just—I just can't. I just be just, hot. Oh, listen. Yeah, it just I, don't make sense. To I, me. Actually, I actually get cold now. <laughs> I remember sleeping. It be it be eighteen degrees, and I'm like sweating <laughs> <laughs> and shit. So how do you like fight the temptation? Because it's it's everywhere at comedy clubs. In the beginning, it was difficult. Um, it was it was it was you know like I say, going up on stage, I would have a few shots. So I was like, first month or so, I was real rusty. Like I didn't even like my comedy. My nerves would get the best of me. But being in a comedy club, uh, most 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 people with addictions that battle addictions, they find other things to get addicted to. And um, which always would always would work for me was the gym. Whenever I worked out, I, I wouldn't drink because I didn't want to mess up what I did in the gym. Mm-hmm. And so that's my that's my addiction. And I don't like for a while I would have like non-alcoholic drinks just to kind of fit in. Or I would have like fake drinks in the club to make myself feel comfortable. But I don't even need that anymore. It's weird because the other day it just it shocked me. I thought about it myself like. You're on day, you, you're partying with people. You know, when I was up north, all the, all the, a lot a lot of my friends from Detroit comics were there. And that's what we do. We turn up, we drink. And I had no desire. Somebody bought me a non-alcoholic beer and I sipped it, but I didn't really want it. Um, but I was just like so shocked. Like I couldn't believe myself, like, wow, you're not you, you don't even have the desire to um to drink. And that, yeah. that was that was good. It's just it's gone. I'm not gonna say I don't know if I'll ever drink again, because it is you know like they say in alcohol, which I never went. I laughed and said I went to AA. I didn't. I just told the people that. But um, they say you know one day at a time, and that's the truth. Um, yeah. I, I count every day as a blessing. I look up sometimes, and it, it could be nine o'clock, ten o'clock. I'm like, dang, I ain't had nothing drink today. That's what's up. I didn't even think about it. You know what I'm saying? So. It's um, it, it is a great feeling. Like after that, it initially was supposed to be like thirty days, but so much started happening. Immediately, I prayed. I prayed to God about it. Um, I'm very spiritual. I'm not religious. I'm very spiritual, and um, I prayed about it. And I, was, I I I prayed and I asked God. I said, if you take this from me, um, you know, I I I I'll give this up, and I want you to show me what you can do. You know, I want you to show me what you can do. And immediately, it was like day two, and I'm getting booked to come to, I got a call to do a show in LA. I got a call to 
to do this and do that. And, and we need you to come out here. We need you to come here. We need to, the money was just increasing. Um, it was amazing. It was, and I was like, after, after day 30, I was like, well, I'm gonna just keep going and see what else he can do for me, what else God can do for me. And it just started growing in like the past, just a little over six months now, the past six months have been life-changing. My opportunities, my career opportunities have exceeded anything I could have imagined. Yeah. Um, and I, I attribute that to, you know, the promise I kept to God. Well, pray for me and my addiction to weed, because... <laughs> Yeah, you know. We we only on one blunt a day, but I'm not at nine. That's but, good. Know. I know, right? <laughs> I know that smoke. I can't do that. I'm a punk. Listen, I am a punk. Just give me a blunt and a half, and I am cool. Mm -hmm. All right. But I really use it because um, you know, you you young, you just party, whatever. I just did it here and there, my friends, because I never really smoked, so they would just do it to get me high. But I really use it for, you know, my anxiety on stage because I'll be up some mm -hmm. I I'm probably like last year I finally uh stopped um shaking on stage and having panic attacks and all that bull crap. So that's kind of what I use it for, just to mellow me out. And by the time I get up there, I don't even really feel it anymore. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you know, I, I'm not I'm not against weed. I just never have. I I, I I I've eaten an edible here and there. I was stuck on the rock in Vegas about three hours. <laughs> I took my dude to Vegas last year for his birthday, and you know, us dumbasses, neither one of us smoke. Like, let's get an edible. We man, we just we just stuck on the rock. Like, it is so nice out here. <laughs> it was so beautiful. Look at the cloud. Look at the sky. We were just there, just looking, just dumb for about three hours. But I, I, I didn't like, uh, I didn't like the way we felt. So that's yeah. not my thing. I'm starting to get a little tired of it. I'm starting to get a little tired of it. Um, now, from you being from Detroit and you being in PK, what is in the water up there, man? Because y'all pump out the best gospel music ever, man. And oh, yeah. music in general, but the gospel be fire. Like, what's in the oh, music? Yeah. What's in the water listen, up there? Listen, Motown. Motown runs through us, through our veins. And even in the church, you know, they, they transferred. A, a lot of the Motown singers came from the church. You know, and, and the church, the choirs are everything. That's what got me interested when I was younger. Like at first, I was like, I don't want to go to church, you know. And then the, the choir, and I love the way they sang, and all the the kids in the choir. I was like, oh man, and we used to travel and compete and stuff like that, and record albums. I was like, this is yeah. awesome, you know. So yeah, we can we we can blow now. We can blow. I got to get a note or two myself. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite gospel singer? John P. Key. Okay. All right. Yeah, All right. I like that. I could deal with that. One of my faves. Yeah, who's One of my faves is uh DJ Catcher. DJ DJ. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's one of my yeah. faves. Cause yeah. he still live a worldly life, but <laughs> I mean, and they all they all do. Yeah. The, the the difference is is um what people see, and I was grateful. My dad was was. A true man of God. I never had to deal with any scandal. He adored my mother, um, uh, but he was still a man. He still was human. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You know, uh, like it, it was so funny because I found out when he passed away. I was like, I found some lottery tickets in the crowd. Like this nigga was playing a lottery. <laughs> like, you, know, you know, but you know, he 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 was a, he was a human being. Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, we don't look at pastors and preachers it's their calling but it's also a job and 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 that they they are supposed to lead by example and be an example and be a light to people but you can be a light and, and still live your life you know like when i was growing up we couldn't dance yeah you know it was like um it was it was it was a, a, a everything was the same when i was coming up yeah. you know and then my dad the the more he got into the scripture he realized that, you know, everything ain't a sin and, and you know, you still got to live, you know. And I, I remember him preaching a message one time. He was talking about music mm -hmm. and uh, worldly music. And he was like, I don't, I don't know what about y'all, but when I'm with my wife, I don't want to hear to God be the glory. I want to hear to get known, you know. <laughs> you know, you know he, I want to hear some Teddy Peak. You know, I, I, yeah. I want to hear John Peaky. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 
and, and and a lot of the gospel music is a love song. It's a love song to Christ. Yeah. You know, so that's what got me. Like yeah. when I used, because I, you know, my my dad, not much so my mom, but my dad, he he played nothing but old school music. So um, my old pastor would be like, "Yeah, you can't listen to worldly music." Blah 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 blah. And then I'll be listening to old school music. I'm like, "Now wait a minute, if." If the Bible say God is love and this song is about love, then if I really think about God on this song, he could be singing about God. Like, you I know? get the same message. Exactly. I don't know who he's singing to anyway. It could be God. <laughs> so, yeah, most you definitely. So, uh, okay, now, uh, as we start to wrap this up here, who is on your Mount Rushmore for comedy? Oh, okay. <laughs> Mount Rushmore for comedy. Um, Eddie Murphy, of course. Eddie Murphy, of course. Uh, uh, Lisa Lampanelli. Are you familiar with her? I have no idea who that is. <laughs> a lot of people. I, she recently retired. She retired a few years ago. But Lisa Lamp, excuse me, Lisa Lampanelli was. She's a white comic. I'm talking about straight, raw, the raunchiest, the talks about everybody says the most derogatory things you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Like, no, black people, Asian people, Jewish just says whatever, whatever. And, and I like that she was fearless. Um, but she, she said she ended up retiring because she said she felt like she was hurtful in her comedy. But I liked her, her rawness and her not being afraid to, um, you know, to put herself out there and say those things, you know, because now we're pulling away from that. Too. Yeah, yeah. I do know who you're talking about. I've never seen her or heard her stand up, but I did hear about a woman retiring because she felt bad. So, okay. Yes. I know you're talking about. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I would say uh, Lisa Lampanelli, Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence was like my favorite. He's one of the reasons I wanted to do comedy. I love Martin. I love Def Jam. I grew up watching Def Jam. Um, uh, 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 Guy Tory, and and I recently got to work with him, and he is the most amazing comic that I have ever met. Like his spirit, his energy. Uh, that's how I want to be when people meet me, and just he had he had such an amazing, loving, welcoming, warm spirit about him, and he was funny, super yeah. funny. So, and my favorite comic, can you take a guess? Um. Uh... You already said Martin. So you uh, said Martin. I said Eddie. I I'm said gonna be lazy. Eddie. I'm gonna be lazy and say Wanda Sykes. Now my favorite comic is Mike Epps. Okay. My favorite comic is Mike Epps, and what I like about Mike Epps, um, I love his relatability. I love his personality on and off stage like and that's the type of energy i try to give out when i'm on stage like um i'm your home girl when you when mm -hmm. you watch my caps you feel like that's that's the nigga next door you know what i'm saying that's your cousin that's your funny ass cousin at the cookout that's that's uh uh the, the guy in school at the lunch table mm -hmm. and and it's not like he's really trying hard he's just naturally funny his 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 energy on stage is so personal, and it, like you feel like you know him. Like you know, I would walk up to my guys like, "What up, dog?" You know, what I'm saying like, I feel like I know him, and that's what I try to give off when I'm on stage. So Mike Epps is is, is definitely my favorite, my favorite comic. So the one that he released on Netflix, I think that one might have been called uh, "Only One Mike," and that was during the pandemic. And then he released another one just last year, but it wasn't until. The one he released during the pandemic, I was like, okay, I'm paying attention to him. Um, not that I've never not looked at his specials, but to me, maybe just because I wasn't I wasn't doing comedy at the time, they were forgettable. Mm -hmm. But the, the one during the pandemic, only one Mike, and the recent one, I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to him. Like he he is growing and he is transcending to a whole nother level that I don't think a lot of people can comprehend. And I think He's on the same level as Earthquake and Dion Cole. Like they oh, have, I don't want to say they have like the same style, but it's just, it's very, it comes off very effortless. 
it's mm-hmm. very like the writing seems very um not to be disrespectful but just very plain because i think sometimes as comedians i'll speak for myself i can overthink the writing and, and then when i'm just like myself it comes naturally but like i don't think mike i don't think a lot of people are paying attention to mike epps he's still growing in comedy and he's reaching a level that a lot of people can't comprehend yeah yeah uh uh man i i, I can i can quote so many mike Evans jokes my, one of my favorite jokes is uh um i had a, i had a knocker between a washer and dryer mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like my, my, my favorite joke because it's the truth and i how, how black mothers are with their daughters is so funny <laughs> You know, and that that's a running joke in my house. Like whenever I get on get on my daughter, I'm like, you hungry? You wanna go get something to eat? You know, that's, yeah. I don't apologize for, for whooping your ass. I just I just feed you. You know, you she mad as hell. She don't wanna talk to nobody. You know. What I mean? <laughs> but, so yeah, the yeah. so the comedians listening to this right now, what kind of words of encouragement or motivation can you give them? Uh, one is keep a day job, keep a day job advice, uh, um, or have a hustle. Like me, I, uh, I work, but I haven't worked in a year. I haven't punched the clock in over a year. Um, but I also, I'm a caterer as well. So I have multiple streams of income comedy, um, until I get, uh, uh, uh steady, I'm on a roll where I can make the money I make that I need to make to live a comfortable life always keep it keep a job and it, it amazed me that that came from i went to la and people that i saw on tv people with comedy specials are the bartender in la they work at macy's they they work at car dealers car salesmen um and it just goes to show you that you know a lot of times we think we made it and we that's the first thing you want to do when you become a comic i'm gonna quit my job and do comedy full time because i'm a real comic i wouldn't suggest that you know it takes and it takes money to make money you're not gonna make no real money in the beginning. I've been in this eight years now. I didn't start seeing money into real money. Well, I was like, oh, okay, this is a good paycheck, you know. Um, probably till I was in the game like four years is when I really, four or five years, when I really started seeing money. And now it's growing because of the things I've done. Um, I can ask for a lot more. But um, also write, 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 write. Just write everything down, write. Any experience that you have, there's a joke in everything. I, I found humor in, in death at funerals. I found humor in so many different situations. Um, I always look at everything from a comedic standpoint, even when it's the worst. Um, I would also suggest be personable. You know, relationships, I would say funny. Funny is probably 50% of being a successful stand-up comic. The other 50 is relationships and likability. There's so many comics out here that can't get work that are hilarious, but their demeanor is so, they're into it. They're in all the mix of the messiness and, and everything. And so it's it's hard. People don't want to work with you. Yeah. You know, people people love, oh, they love to work with me. I, when I would go to the Funny Bone, when we would do shows on Sunday, I would bring meals for the staff and the and the headline, whoever the headliner was, you know, because I know they were tired of eating the same food all weekend. So I would bring meals and just I'm just a kind person. That's just who I am um, on and, and off the stage. But that's what it's about, establishing relationships. It ain't always about the funny because you see people. Let's be real. You see people you like they ain't even that funny. How they get there? That's how. Yeah, that's how, yeah. you know, that, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Ronnie, tell people why they should listen to Comedians in Bed. Oh, man. Comedians in Bed, first of all, I'm so happy to be a part of this. This is an amazing show. Ty is an awesome interviewer. Like, I didn't even feel like I was working. I felt like, you know, I, I think I burnt my greens. Um, <laughs> I think I did. I think I did. But, no, it's, it's such a great experience. And he's introducing you to comics you may or may not know. And uh, uh, you'd be surprised, you know, who he brings on here. Like myself, I'm pretty sure once you see this, you don't want to get to know Ronnie Chanel and uh, uh, and all the other comics that he brings on here. And support other comics. Support Black comedy. It's hard for us out here. Support comedy in general, but it's hard for Black comics. So definitely tune in to Comics in Bed because this shit is funny. I love it. 
I had a great time today. <laughs> Ronnie, tell people where they can find you at. You can follow me everywhere, Ronnie Chanel, any social media platform, Instagram. Uh, because I am the age that I am, Facebook loves me. <laughs> like like Facebook, I, I could put something on Facebook now and it has a thousand views in five minutes. Like Instagram, <laughs> it takes days for that shit. TikTok, <laughs> I'm still working on TikTok. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, Ronnie Chanel, you can find me in and everywhere. And if you like this t-shirt I'm wearing, it says, uh, I'm up next. I got an X out. I'm up now because it's my time, you know. I am the big thing. I ain't the next big thing. I'm the big thing that's happening right now. Comedian Ronnie Chanel, you can DM me. Hit me up if you want a T-shirt. They're $25, but I will give you a discount. If you say you uh, saw me on Comics in Bed, I will give you a discount, and it'll be $24.99, not $25. So that's just for you. Um, <laughs> just, just for your viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Just for your hey man, if you want to check out next week's episode, you can go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel at TYE Comedy. Or if you want to listen to this on the audio version, you can go ahead and subscribe to Comedians in Bed wherever you listen to podcasts. This week we had the wonderful super mom, the hilarious Ronnie Chanel on here. Guys, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much for having me, Ty.